Allow me just to pray for us as we begin here this morning. God, we pray that each person here this morning would be reminded in a powerful way how much they matter to you. That no matter the situation they find themselves in today, they would know that you have turned towards them. That you've stooped down and you've picked them up. That you've come to restore and to redeem them, leveraging all the resources of your kingdom to do so. Lord, may each of us, when we leave here today, go with a real powerful sense of how much you care for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to start with a question for us here to wrestle with this morning. I'm just wondering, and you can show by raising your hands, if you've ever had to be asked more than once to do something, just raise your hand. And if you're sitting beside someone that you know real well who did not raise their hand, and they, you've asked them many times to do something, you can raise their hand for them because I've only so far asked them once. So I guess they're kind of off the hook. You've been asked to do things more than once. Um, kids, your parents, I mean your mom, she leaves her, her towel on the floor of the bathroom all the time, right? It's just wet towel, she just throws it on the floor. She expects you to pick it up and to dry it off, right? You have told her again and again and again not to do that, but she never listens to you, isn't this right? And dad, you know, he comes home from work, pours himself a glass of milk, drinks it, and he puts it down on the counter one foot away from the dishwasher, and you have told him time and time again, Dad, put your cup in the dishwasher. And he doesn't do it. I mean, I know it's a multitask thing. It requires both hands and maybe five or six steps. You have to open the drawer, pull out the rack, put the cup in. Close. You know, it's complicated. But with some training and instruction, you can manage to do this. Is that right? Right? Haven't you, isn't it true of us that sometimes we have to be asked time and time again to do the very same thing? We've been studying the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke's gospel, and two times in this passage, this man interacts with Jesus, and Jesus tells him to do the same thing twice. And isn't it true in our own life and in our own faith that the Lord asks us to do things again and again, the very same thing? That maybe you can remember back, even it's been over years that the Lord has spoken to you about different things time and time Again, and he's asked you to do something. And still he needs to remind us again. I don't know about you. I'm grateful that God doesn't give up on us. And that he's willing to ask us again and again and again. One of the things that the Lord has asked us to do many times is to reflect our love to our neighbors. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the prophets and in the apostles. Love others as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself again and again. The greatest of these is love. Love one another again and again. In fact, if someone asks, what's it like to live next to a Christian? The Lord wants the answer to be, well, it's like being loved. They're loving people. Because that's what God wants us to be like. It's our calling. God calls each of us to take uh, his love into our hearts and then to express it to the people around us. And in this story, when Jesus asks the expert of the law to do this twice, he's asking us to do it as well, twice. God is a missionary God, and as we've been talking about in this series, he has gone looking for his people. He's not content that anybody would die without knowing salvation. 
And he's passed this missionary heart on to us as followers. That we too should live as though God is going to use our life to extend an invitation to the world. That they too might know the love that we ourselves have found. And so we've been wrestling today about what does that look like? What does it mean for us to live this way? Especially in a world where everything has changed. Now, if you and I came, if I came to you and said, look, I've got this feeling like God is calling me to be a missionary to the crazy, wild people of Saskatchewan, which is where I'm from, I don't know, what what should I do? You would give me some kind of classic missionary advice. You would say, well, as a missionary to a new place, you need to go to that neighborhood and get to know your neighbors. You need to learn their customs. Why do they hollow out watermelons in football season and place them on their heads? You need to learn Saskatchewan phrases and language, like what are bunny hugs and slews and gotch? Because as a newcomer, you need to first understand their story, understand their people, and earn the right to share the gospel with them. And not only that, people need to see the difference in your life up close and personal as you interact to them. They need to see the difference that Christ has made in your life before they'll be interested in hearing the difference that Christ could make in their life, right? This is what missionaries have done. It's what Bob and Marjorie Malcolm had done, what Ken and Shirley Knight had done. They go and they live this out elsewhere. But now because of the changes in our culture, we need to live this way here to take the posture of a missionary who realizes that the people we are friends with and work with are unfamiliar with the gospel and the way that they will see it is lived out in our lives. And Jesus asks the the, the expert of the law in the passage we're going to look at in a minute to do this, not once, but twice. Why do I share this with you? Because over the last three weeks, I have been pestering you nonstop with the story of the Good Samaritan. And I promise this is our last week. Next week, we're going to be talking about the issue um, of of anxiety. Um, So just a heads up for that. So let's look one more time at this passage. Uh, Luke chapter 10 Starting at verse 35, it's on page 1613. If you're using the red Bible in the seat in front of you, you can look it up on your phone as well. Luke chapter 10. But before we look at at, at verse 35, I want you to turn back a page to the very start of Luke chapter 10. And what is the heading that greets us at the very start of Luke chapter 10? What does it say? Jesus sends out the 72. This is a story where Jesus calls his disciples together and he sends them out to do the work that he was doing. He commissions them to be his ambassadors and he says, this is the work that I've been doing now. I want all 72 of you to go out and to do it. So I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke starts chapter 10 with a calling people to go out into the world and then the next passage that follows that is a passage that teaches us how to love our neighbors. So as we read the story of the Good Samaritan, we ought to imagine that Jesus has just commissioned us to go out and love our neighbor in the world. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Jesus, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. And here he goes the first time. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But... A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have." Then Jesus turns to the expert of the law and he says this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And now for a second time, Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Jesus is not interested in this man knowing the answers. Jesus is not interested in whether or not this man is able to quote any Bible verses. Jesus is wanting this man to get to the place where he is trusting him to do what Jesus has asked. Love your neighbor. And so this morning, I want us to wrestle with a little bit, what does that look like for you and I to love our neighbor? Practically speaking, If we're going to embrace this call to live like missionaries in 2019 St. John, what does that look like for us? I'm going to suggest four things today. The first is this, a humble attitude. A humble attitude. You know, to be the church today, we need to think differently about ourselves as Christians. Especially if you're a Gen X and older, so my age or older, and you grew up in the church. Because one of the things that happens is when you're part of kind of the majority Christian culture of the past, if we're not careful, we start to assume a dominant attitude, which feels and sounds like this. I have the power, you don't. I'm right and you're wrong. I'm the good guy, you're the bad guy. I have what you need, so you need me. And of course, our culture has completely changed The attitude of the priest and the Levite, they had this kind of dominant attitude. But when the Samaritan comes along, he shows us what humility looks like. He moves towards the man in need, gets down off of his animal and cares for him. He puts his own agenda as secondary to the needs of the man in the story. And as he does, he puts on a clinic for us about what it looks like to love our neighbors Not like the robbers who saw the man as somebody to exploit. Not like the priest who saw the man as somebody to avoid. And if Jesus is going to move in our day, we need to adopt a humble attitude like that of the Samaritan if we're going to see God's love flow through us to the people around us. So can we stop for a second and ask ourselves some really awkward and uncomfortable questions? I want for you to get into your mind. I want you to be able to picture it. This image of the priest riding down high on a donkey and the beaten man well below him. One high and one low. 
I want you to have that image in your mind as I ask you these questions. Are there people in our world and around us that we look down on? Are there neighbors or coworkers, not probably even instinctively, but subconsciously that we look down on? Financially, maybe you have more money than them. And you've started to think that you're better than them. You work harder than them. And without even knowing it, we start to think that we are more deserving than this person. Maybe morally, you live a better life than them. You, your coworkers were doing certain things this weekend that you would certainly never do. And over time, if we're not careful, we start to feel like we're better than them. Or physically, you're in shape, you work out, they don't. You have discipline, you don't eat certain foods, they eat just about anything. And over time, without intentionally trying to, we develop an attitude that we're better than other people. Well, why am I torturing you with these questions? Because you're never going to move towards people that you feel better than. And if you do, that attitude is going to come through loud and clear. Sri Lankan pastor D.T. Nile said it best when he talked about what is the attitude we ought to have when we express love to people. And he said it should go like this, one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. One beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Humility. As we talked about last week, we remember that Christ came to us half beaten and dead. He stoops down. He picks us up. He restores us. And we remember that we want other people to have that same experience that we have had. Rick Tobias is, works at the Young Street Mission in Toronto, which is a mission in the inner city, uh, working with the most vulnerable on the streets of Toronto. He was once asked the question, what kind of a person makes the best staff? How do you find staff members that don't burn out, that don't become cynical and jaded about everybody that they meet? And he said this, the best staff are those who can see the beauty and worth in others. Those who can see the beauty and worth in others. He said, those that can't see beauty and worth in other people, they don't last. Humility. Can you see beauty and worth in the neighbors that the Lord has placed around you? Second, do something. Now, this quote is going to get me some emails, but I don't, that's okay. And I won't even tell you who said it, but I love it. Uh, there was a, a Christian commentator who once wrote about the story of the Good Samaritan. He said this, In the story of the Good Samaritan, no one gets any help until someone gets off his donkey. No one gets any help until someone gets off his donkey. What does it look like for you to move towards your neighbor? Jesus shows us in this passage that an easy starting place is to meet a need. So take a moment and think about the people that are around you and what are the needs of some of your neighbors. This past week, as we've talked about a few times already today, there were all kinds of opportunities to connect with and help neighbors. If you have a neighbor that's experienced loss, had a baby, lost a job, got a new job, is looking after aging parents, do you know people who are spending a lot of time alone? And just don't be that creepy Christian person that, you know, decides you're going to bake muffins, and so you bake muffins, but you stick Bible verses inside of them, so when they take a bite, they find them. Don't do that. Just be natural. Can I point out an obvious need that I just continue to see again and again, and this is the need for friendship. You know the data. We're more connected than we've ever been before. You've got more friends on Facebook this year than you did last year. 
And yet the truth is so many people live very lonely lives. And we have an opportunity to befriend people. This became clear to me the more time I spent with one of our Syrian families uh, new to Canada. I remember the day he sat down with me and he wanted to ask me an important question. He was worried he was going to offend me and his English wasn't all that great and so he just with all the courage that he could muster asks me, why is it that Canadians are too busy to spend time with people? How come you have no time for your friends and for your family? What would it look like for us to create some time and space to befriend some people? To pop over and say hi, to invite someone over for a meal, to spend an extra 20 minutes chatting at the end of the driveway, to take time each day and to be praying for the people that live and work around us. If Jesus was going to move towards your neighbor, what would that look like? Third, it's risky. It's risky. The Good Samaritan put himself at risk by helping this man. Maybe the thieves were lying in wait, and if he stops and helps him, he becomes their next victim. Maybe when he was traveling back with this wounded man on his donkey, and he comes into town, people think, you did this damage to this guy, and he's at risk. And I can guarantee you, if you choose to live your life of faith and express the love of God to the people that you live around and the people that you work with, you're going to require to take some risks. People might take advantage of your good-hearted nature. You might offer to help, and then you get a call every day. You might offer to give someone a drive, and suddenly they think you're their Uber driver, and you're getting all of these requests, and you might have to make a difficult decision and set some boundaries and figure out what does it look like to really help these people. Of course, nobody ever took advantage of Jesus. You know when he fed the 5,000 people? All of them got baptized the next week at church, and they all became lifelong missionaries. You know that, don't you? It might happen, but it's worth the risk. You might get the reputation of being that crazy Christian. Maybe the lunchroom evangelist, or people avoid you. They don't come to your house at Halloween because they think you're going to give them Bibles instead of candy. Um, that's okay. If you are truly and genuinely expressing a, a heartfelt need and a humble attitude towards people, it's okay to earn that reputation. You might get rejected. They might tell you, look, I'm not the least bit interested. The church is what's wrong with this world. Or I had this experience at a church. Or a pastor said something to me once that was so hurtful, I will never, ever go back. My counsel to you, if you meet people like this and you're, you're apt to, is to simply open the, keep the door open. I'm sorry that happened to you. Uh, the Jesus I read about in the scriptures would never treat people that way. Uh, can I keep the door open? If you ever want to talk or if, you want, if I can get you some help, just keep the door open. And sometimes stories don't have happy endings. This has probably been the hardest thing for me in ministry over the years, is you pour yourself out into someone's life, you see other people pouring themselves into other people's lives, and their situation just simply doesn't get better. So as I've struggled with this, I've come to kind of three conclusions that I'll share with you that have kind of helped me as I've wrestled with this. The first is this, that the person that you've helped has heard and seen a tangible example of the love of God, and a seed has been planted, and we entrust it to the Lord. We do not manage the results. We faithfully serve, we faithfully love. The Lord is in charge of the results. Another thing I've said to myself over the years is that this person now knows that there's somebody in their corner. 
If their circumstances change, if they want to reach out, if they need help, they will know who to call because I've left the door open and they know that we're going to be here for them no matter what. And the final thing that I've thought about as I've wrestled with this is simply don't judge on the outside what's going on on the inside. Just because you see someone's life and we make evaluations about it, don't assume you know what's going on at the heart level. But as we move towards people, we will assume and we should be ready to assume some risk. But I'll guarantee you this, for all the risks that there are, the possibility for adventure is even greater. The possibility of God moving and doing something that you couldn't have even imagined is even greater. I've posted a story to our church Facebook page, and I'll have some printed copies for you next week, of a story of a guy by the name of Cam Roxborough. Uh, Cam is a church leader in B.C., and he got invited to speak at a pastor's conference in Banff, Alberta. And immediately I thought, how do you get to this conference in Banff, Alberta? Um, he was checking into the hotel, and as he was doing it, he looked over next to him, and Dr. Henry Morgenthaler was checking into the hotel as well. Dr. Morgenthaler is responsible for abortion clinics across the country. He came to find out that Dr. Morgenthaler had actually requested the opportunity to speak to the pastors that were gathering at the hotel for this conference, and none of them got back to him. So he took a step of faith, and he had a conversation with Dr. Morgenthaler and said, I'd be willing to have a conversation with you. And in the article that I posted online, this friendship grows to the point where Dr. Morgenthaler invites him to his house in Toronto to have a meal with his family. As you and I step out in faith and allow God to move us and direct us, and we're willing to take some risks, you have no idea what he might do. The last thing I want to say to you today is simply this. You're not alone. You're not alone. This is not a solo sport. This is not something any of us should undertake on our own. God has given us the Holy Spirit who will help us throughout this process and prayer is the way that we gain access to the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And we must pray at every point and at every step along the way. If we're going to go and do this, it will depend on the Holy Spirit to lead us. But you're also not alone because you're part of a church family. Can you imagine you start reaching out to a neighbor and you discover that their mom's just passed away? And so suddenly you think, oh great, now I have to become a grief counselor and start meeting with this person and try to sort out what's going on and give them direction? No. You have a church family that offers grief counseling all the time. Maybe you're chatting with a guy at work and you realize that he and his wife are just on the verge of divorce. And you say, well, you know, our church has some resources that can help you. We even have some funds that could help you get the help that you need to save your marriage. Look around this room this morning. Here's what I can guarantee you. If you get talking with somebody and they tell you about a need in their life, I can guarantee you there's 30 or 40 people in this congregation that have had the same thing. And we could find help for them. Because one of the greatest things in life is, or one of the worst things in life is feeling like you're the only one and that you're all alone. And together, we can be a support to each other. Well, Jesus tells this man, this expert of the law, twice to do something. And Jesus tells us today, do something. What does this look like for you to live this calling out to love your neighbor? 
Would you commit this week, every day, to praying for God to show you who it is? And maybe you already know. Maybe you're already actively involved in this. But for those of you who aren't, Lord, who is the person that you are directing me towards? Would you pray about it every day? Would you be open to the Holy Spirit prompting you, tapping you on the shoulder, drawing your attention to certain situations that you've never noticed before? And would you be willing to take a risk and do something to extend the love of God to them in some practical ways? If we can be a help to you, we would love to. I wish this is all I did was just talk and have these conversations with people as they tried to figure this out in their life. I could just fill a week with that. That would be awesome. But more than anything, do it from this attitude. Remember that you and I were once half dead. And Jesus came by and he scooped us up. He put us on his donkey. He rode us into town. He leveraged all of his resources to look after us. And he restored us. And we want our neighbors to have that same opportunity. Let me pray for you. Lord, as we walk to our vehicles this morning, as we drive through town to our homes, as we get up in the morning and go to work and walk from our car to our desk, as we make our way around the office, as we return home at night and drive through our neighborhood, God, give us compassion for the people around us. Give us a heart and a burden that they might experience what we have experienced in you. That they could know this love, this unconditional love that does not keep track of wrongs and that wants to put us back together again. And may we be your ambassadors in sharing that love with others, we pray.